Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast. I'm CMO Christopher Norton, the last person you were expecting to see. Here's what's up. We continue to be humbled by the growth and success of the podcast and our various shows, and really what makes them work for our team, on the production side at least, is that they can be recorded as our schedules allow. But that doesn't work for what we do in research. To bring you the level of commentary you've come to expect from us, it really needs to be recorded the day before or even the day of. So in launching two and a half CMTs, something our entire team was stoked about, I failed to realize the demand it would create on our CEO's time. And frankly, it's not going to work. So the show's not dead. It will become a special that we'll produce from time to time when there's big things going on that we want to talk about. And we'll be back in 2023 with fresh ideas from our research team. And for the remainder of this year, we've decided to bring back an old favorite. Before we start the show, we'd like to remind our audio listeners that this show was developed as a video podcast. If you'd like to see any of the visuals that are referenced in this episode, we invite you to check out our YouTube channel. Simply search for the Conquer Risk podcast. You'll see all the shows we produce, including this one. And just like the audio, you can subscribe to be notified the moment a new episode drops. Enjoy the show. From Research by Potomac and the Conquer Risk Podcast, this is Who Charted. All right. Hey, everybody. It is back. Who charted? Myself, Dan Russo, Director of Research here at Potomac. With me, as always, can't say that for everybody, but with me, as always, is Drew Wells. Now, before we get started, I just want to point out that Manish loves to call out whenever he comes back to a show that it's a Jordan-type return. Well, this to me is bigger than that. This is like Ali coming back to the ring right now. So we are back Six charts and six minutes, but be forewarned, I'm probably going to go over time. Drew, what do you got? Let's get going. The most exciting six minutes in markets. All right. Uh, hot take incoming here for all of my technical analysis friends that like to make a, a news event out of a market event. Uh, you know, look, the market had a really big day, uh, 5% update in the S&P 500 last Thursday, November the 10th. Uh, everybody wants to immediately run to their uh, trading program or analysis software and start generating, uh, you know, historical returns around that date. And that's great. That's fine. But like, let's let's up the ante a little bit here, folks. We have to define uh, what the trend is over a certain time frame, right? So for us in this case, it's the 200-day moving average. You know, maybe for you, it's uh, you know, 50-day moving average or whatever. But do something to define whether or not we're in an uptrend or a downtrend, right? So what it, what's interesting is we went back and looked at all the single day gains of 5% or more when the S&P 500 is uh, below its 200 day moving average like we are now. Uh, one month, a uh, decent pop there with 66.6% or so uh, probability of gain. Doesn't get too great when you look three months out. Again, this is below the 200 day moving average. It's removing some of those you know, events that have happened above. And so there's still risk here. All right, if you recall one of the uh, last episodes before the Ollie like comeback to the ring, I went on a rant about Bitcoin. Um, and 
I'm going to go on a rant here a little bit again today to start things off, only because I think that when you put narrative and dogma where risk management should be, you deserve everything you get. Now, obviously, some a lot of people are losing a lot of money here, but the red box was the first kind of breakdown in the trust, if you will. Some hedge funds blowing up in the crypto space, uh, Celsius blowing up in the crypto space. All of these events this year have happened below the 200-day moving average, below a declining 200-day moving average. You've inserted dogma, you've inserted narrative where risk management should be, right? And then you got wrapped. That's what markets do. That's what markets are for. That's what markets should do. A lot of people are upset about it. A lot of people are saying, you know, don't gloat. Forget that. You got wrecked. You deserved it. We'll tell you how we really feel about it one day. Uh, I'm going to keep talking about energy because I think it's one of the few sectors that, you know, continue to work while everybody continues to try to write energy off. Now, uh, big divergence here. This is probably no uh, shock to anybody, but there's been a big divergence in the energy sector, energy stocks and crude oil right there in the bottom pane right there. So crude oil uh, below its 200 day moving average. Energy is obviously above pressing up against new highs. Uh, in the trading session on November 14th there. So, you know, which one wins? Actually, crude oil won the last time. You could, you know, make a, an argument that from March until early summer, uh, the divergence was to the downside in crude oil and that led energy stocks lower. Now the reverse is happening. So, you know, could it be the opposite effect that uh, equity investors are anticipating higher crude prices? Possibly, but, uh, you know, as the aforementioned uh, rant had certainly suggested, make sure you manage risk uh, no matter what your trade is here. All right, I like this one because it kind of hits on subjective TA as well as more objective TA. Uh, this is the dollar index. Uh, the red line is the 50-day moving average, S&P 500 down below. Now, a lot of people want to make a big deal out of the correlation here or the inverse correlation. What I will point out is that over time, that correlation ebbs and flows. It's not a steady state. Right now, there's an inverse correlation between the dollar and stocks. We get the Barron's cover of uh, GW flexing on October 8th. We get the Business Week cover on October 3rd. Everybody all up in arms. For me, that's like an interesting thing. It's nice to have. Uh, but the real signal needs to be quantified. I don't know how to test the magazine cover indicator. Uh, maybe, Drew, you can go back and through all of history and look at every magazine cover and see if there's actually a signal there. But what you can test is a break by some percentage below the 50-day moving average, uh, which you did actually get in the dollar on October 26th. So more quantitative way of looking at it. All right, gold is finally getting moving here, right? It's been a long time since, uh, you know, since we've seen some nice upside fraction, uh, price action out of gold on that bottom pane there, breaking that downtrend line, uh, you know, from quarter uh, one late in early quarter two this year in March down to really this month right there. This is all taking place below a 200 day moving average. Really, you could argue the trend in gold over the last year or so has been flat. I think the 200 days is probably a key level uh, to keep an eye on, but definitely some nice upside price action there. Take a look at miners breaking out relative to the S&P 500. Again, if we zoom out a little bit over the past year, this is a relatively flat trend. I think those 200-day moving averages need to be recaptured to the upside to have uh, a little bit more confidence that the moving gold is just something more than uh, reverting back to the middle of that channel, uh, both on an absolute and a relative basis. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. All right, so I guess gold is considered an inflation hedge. And a lot of people like to dump on gold, but I think flat 
in a year where thus far the S&P is down, you know, 17, 18%, uh, certainly did a better job of protecting your capital and storing your value than Bitcoin did. Remember the narrative on Bitcoin, how it was an inflation hedge and a store of value, right? Only boomers bought gold. That was the narrative. Gold's flat on the year. Why don't you just follow trends, follow price? Here's inflation, by the way. A lot of people excited about the fact that we got a sub eight print on the CPI last week. And obviously on the margin, that is better. Uh, but we're still way above where the Fed wants to see inflation. The Fed wants inflation at the red line, 2%. Look at the one year slope. We just turned positive. And check out what happened in the 70s. There was a, uh, a double hump, if you will. Initial spike, pullback. I'm sure a lot of people got excited about that pullback in 1975 and 76 as well. And then a peak at a higher high. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We know that you appreciate uh, mine and Dan's consistency on this show week after week. So uh, be sure to tune in for uh, more episodes. If you like this kind of content, be sure to like and subscribe. And uh, we'll see you next time around. Have a good one, everyone. We'll see you soon. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.